They want to see where the risk is. Okay, and they might not know where the risk is. The standard setters have no idea where the risk is either. We just don't know unless we have information and we're communicating it. And that's kind of, that's the key point of collecting anything from an accounting standpoint. So once we identify that something exists, then we can look at it, we can measure it, quantify it, and then we can do whatever with that piece of information. And it's not always financial related. It doesn't need to be cash flow related. Could accounting hold the key to achieving climate change initiatives, equality and diversity in the workplace, and a generally more sustainable future? Current accounting research shows that accounting and global regulatory accounting practices are essential to organizations reaching sustainability goals that have a more measurable impact. An accounting perspective also can shift how organizations approach sustainability, not just with piecemeal solutions or siloed to certain departments, but as a holistic, organization-wide issue. Welcome to the Delve Podcast, an initiative of Delve, the thought leadership platform of the McGill Desotel Faculty of Management. I'm Robin Fadden, your host for this episode. In this episode of the podcast, we follow up with Desotel accounting professor Brian Wenzel about the current and future role of accounting in sustainability initiatives and actions. While our first conversation focused on how accounting and accounting standards are essential to organizations reaching their sustainability goals, this time we discussed the topics, insights, and outcomes of the McGill Accounting Research Conference, which took place at McGill on June 7th and 8th, 2023. The goal of this year's conference was to promote discussion among accounting scholars and practitioners and share their insights on sustainability within the accounting profession and capital markets. One key part of the conference was a keynote address by a board member of the International Sustainability Standards Board, or the ISSB. He outlined how regulatory bodies like the ISSB have a vital role to play in how organizations set and reach sustainability goals in a global context. This episode of the podcast is a collaboration between Delve, the McGill Sustainable Growth Initiative, and its director and Desotel professor, Javad Nasiri. The Sustainable Growth Initiative also co-sponsored the conference. Now let's hear more from Brian Wenzel. Hi, Brian. I'm so glad to have you on the Delve podcast again. Thank you so much for being here. It's a joy to be here. I'm very happy to do this again. Yeah, and we're going to get a little bit deeper with our questions about sustainability and accounting because this conference just happened in early June. And I want to hear about some of the outcomes of the conference, what happened, and even the conference itself, the logistics of running a conference about sustainability and accounting that is itself sustainable. But before we get into the details about the conference, can we recap what we talked about in the first Delve podcast a little bit on the subject of accounting and sustainability? So we talked about the link between accounting and sustainability and, you know, whether we're talking about an organization's sustainability, whether we're talking about EDI uh, or climate change, of course. So those are bigger picture issues. But could you outline that link between accounting and sustainability again for us? We could start by defining sustainability again, and everybody has a different definition. I take mine from what's referred to as the Brundtland Report. It was something issued by the UN in the late 80s. Um, And a key, like, succinct phrase that came out of that was that sustainable development is just meeting the, our current needs without sacrificing the needs of the future generations. I mean, it's kind of this short-termism versus long-termism and balancing between different stakeholders. And I think that's where accounting comes in. If you remember, accounting isn't just tracking numbers, it's communicating information. That's what I think is the key role of accounting. And so we have like the central role to play in anything we think of sustainability related, because we can track data if the data exists. But it's then connecting the key stakeholders and communicating from one party to the other party. 
Yeah. And those key stakeholders, could you just name some of those? So stereotypically inside a business, especially in like an accounting and finance mindset, we think of like the key stakeholder as the financiers. So the owners or the debt holders, the banks say, or bondholders. But the other key stakeholders, it could be you and me as consumers inside of some business. It's the employees. It's the society at large that the business operates in. It's the government and we are the government. These are all the different like stakeholders or some of the stakeholders, at least, that are inside of a business. Even though we might not think of ourselves as consumers or whatever we might want to call ourselves, citizens, yeah. we don't always think that we're connected to the accounting of any organization. No. That's something that goes on behind closed doors. Exactly. You know? But we are like core to a business. A business won't operate without any sort of consumer or the society, the employees. Like We are central to a business, even though we don't directly think of that. This conference happens every two years. Why was sustainability chosen as the focus for this year's conference? I'm currently the director of sustainability inside the faculty. It just felt like a competency that I had to run it, and I was just interested in it. And my colleagues thought that was an interesting idea to do as well. It's kind of hot right now in accounting uh, because sustainability itself, I mean, it's more than just climate change, but we could think of climate change. It's a big deal right now. And so accounting's finally entering the realm and saying, hey, we have a central part to play in this. Personally, like when I was doing my dissertation, maybe less than a decade ago starting it, it was suggested to me to maybe not do a topic on sustainability that I wanted. That's just how quick things have changed inside the academic research in accounting on sustainability. And so it's nice to see the academy itself move in this direction. The other reason we had done it, in the past, we've always kind of had a theme in our conference, but they were a bit more disciplinary. So there's different different areas of research inside accounting. Some will look at the stock market. I tend to look at tax. Some will look at auditing inside of accounting. Those are kind of siloed. Sustainability is a bit more of a broader theme for a conference. So it was us kind of testing a different approach to laying some sort of outline to the conference. The conference itself, before we get into some of the research that was presented at the conference, the conference itself was sustainable or, you know, so can you talk about a little bit about the conference itself and what made it a sustainable conference? It doesn't always happen in organizations, in business, in academia, these big conferences. There's a lot of waste. They're not necessarily sustainable no. if we look at the bigger picture. But what did you do? Conferences themselves are almost by nature perhaps unsustainable. Bringing people together, we had four different countries, three continents that showed up in Montreal for this conference. That's a lot of flying. You have to feed these people. Just event space itself creates waste. Things I'd never thought about before in doing this. So I went into organizing the conference with the goal of getting it platinum certified, which is what we call it at McGill via the McGill Office of Sustainability. And there's a checklist and things you have to go through to get that platinum certification extremely difficult, as it should be difficult if you want that highest level of certification. There was a lot of people traveling, so we raised funding to purchase carbon offsets for a lot of the participants, especially those presenting and discussing the key people, the visible people inside the conference. Some other things we'd done to be sustainable, there was no waste. We didn't print paper. There were no printed agendas. We had them on projectors. There were no name tags. These like small little things we don't tend to think about that kind of add up um, in conferences, especially academic conferences. It's like relearning how we approach conferences. So I don't need a name tag to introduce myself. I can just introduce myself and just meet someone new that way a bit more naturally, perhaps. But again, I think the the critical part of what you said is that this is something that made you think about how, how wasteful 
conferences can be. That's kind of a key role of academia, right? Like we should be thought provokers and we should be trying to push and do new things and just thinking about what we're doing. Yes, it's just one conference, but there are hundreds of conferences that happen in hundreds of cities across the world. That is the impact that we're trying to, you know, mitigate, right? Yeah, rethinking the way that we do conferences. So then getting into what was presented at the conference itself. Could you outline a little bit of the some of the research presented at the conference, who presented, like who was there? And was there anything in particular that sort of roused conversation or felt groundbreaking to having a strong influence on changing what's being established in this uh, field of research? Well, before the conference, we had a session with doctoral students and This is part of our mandate as well in academia to advance doctoral students. And so they presented their, will more likely be their dissertations. And so kind of presenting it to a small panel of people and getting feedback from experts on it. Uh, For the sustainability conference itself, we opened it with a keynote address from a member of the International Sustainability Standards Board or the ISSB. Um, This is a part of what's called the IFRS Foundation. It's the global, minus the U.S., standard setter. And so it's what most countries utilize for their accounting rules. And so the IFRS has created this subset of creating rules for how we collect data on sustainability and communicate that data to other stakeholders. And so it was nice to have the board member here because this is newly established and one of their key offices is here inside Montreal point of having the board member here we just wanted to learn from him because it's so new what they're doing the standards don't exist yet they've taken the old standards from the other institutions that existed and we're using them now but we're going to create our new standards we literally just wanted to know what the process was what the, what they were thinking we talked about the role of the ISSB and what they hope to accomplish The ISSB is new, but they're not starting from scratch. And so they had consolidated some other standard setters that had already existed. So the TCEFD, the SASB, which is Sustainability Counter Standards Board that had started in the U.S. as well. The interesting thing is those three that they consolidated had different mandates. So the TCFD was just climate change focused. Very important, but it's not a holistic view of everything sustainability. The SASB has their own rules. They had created rules for different industries, and so which is a nice approach. So the mining industry has different sustainability concerns than the financial institution industry, say. So creating different rules for different subsets of the economy. One of the questions I hope to get answered and was answered from this ISSB board member, Jeffrey Hales, he's at the University of Texas. I asked, who are the stakeholders that the ISSB is focused on? So historically, accounting rules that we create, the stakeholders are just the shareholders and the debt holders. That's going to be the same for the ISSB. So their core focus is just collecting sustainability information that will be key for making decisions from a shareholder or a debt holder viewpoint. I at first thought that was pretty limiting because we're kind of excluding other stakeholders inside a company. But what Jeff had kind of explained to us was the core competency of the IFRS foundation is the financiers. Like this is what we're experts in collecting information for. And just simply because we collect information for them doesn't preclude that information being meaningful meaningful to other stakeholders. The way he had put it, and the way some other people had explained this as well, the ISSB, the rules they create, it's 
collecting sustainability that impacts the company. So it's the way the world impacts the company and the shareholders. There's another set of rules. It's called the Global Reporting Initiative. And so the GRI rules, it's kind of the opposite. So the GRI rules, they take the company and how the company impacts the world. And so it's kind of like these two complementary regimes that exist right now. The reason I at first was kind of disappointed that the ISSB was only going to focus on the financiers, it felt limiting because... Perhaps accounting was part of the problem beforehand, and just and not intentionally, but just the way we collected and disseminated information to the capital market. I personally feel that has led to short-termism inside the way we invest or the way banks lend to companies. Just keeping that same limiting focus on just those two felt like we were leaving things at the table. But that's not necessarily true. So the way Jeff had explained some of the information they'll collect, or it's not all sustainability that will lead to financial information. It's almost like risk. So here's risks that exist, climate change risk, diversity risk, governance risk, just not operating, having good systems in place. We've already kind of done this in accounting in the past, and I'd never really thought about this until I'd heard Jeff explain this. So it was, it was a nice way to hear about what they're doing. It might seem limiting, but actually I don't think it is. The financial accounting rules themselves are actually going to be a subset of the sustainability rules. So even, even the IFRS Foundation and the SSB, they're viewing the sustainability as more encompassing than just the old accounting rules, which is it was refreshing to see. The ISSB can't change what the financiers want. The financiers want to see that there is less. They want to see where the risk is. Okay. And they might not know where the risk is. The standard setters have no idea where the risk is either. We just don't know unless we have information and we're communicating it. And that's kind of, that's the key point of collecting anything from an accounting standpoint. So once we identify that something exists, then we can look at it, we can measure it, quantify it, and then we can do whatever with that piece of information. And it's not always financial related. It doesn't need to be cash flow related. I mean, this could be a difficult concept to grasp, right? So we could pick an industry and the insurance industry say some insurance companies are not underwriting our home insurance policies anymore in the state of Florida. This is due to it's more than just hurricanes. I think now it's like flooding and sea level rising and there's too much risk there. And so this is where accounting can come in and play a role. Tracking these things, here's the risk of sea level change, or here's where it could happen, here's where it is happening. Um, it's a similar thing in California. I know one major insurance company has just left the state of California for home insurance policies due to forest fires. And so how do we measure that? Well, how do we measure that? Is that just the number of trees? That sounds kind of boring, uh, but it's something we could do if that's meaningful or the risk of forest fires happening. How does a forest fire happen? Where do fires even start from, right? These like fundamental questions. Accounting could play that role in that. We just have to sit down and collect that information. To do that in a meaningful way, you need a standard that exists. So here's what we should look at. Here's how we can look at it. We can disclose it. And if it turns out not to be meaningful, we can then adjust it and move forward. So accounting itself is sort of a learning process. But this is how, I mean, at the end of the day, these examples I gave do relate to cash flows at the end of the day, but it's really highlighting a risk and how the risk impacts, in this instance, was the insurance company making the decision on which markets to enter or to leave. If I'm leaving a market, that's probably something an insurance company doesn't like. That's potentially money left on the table, assuming the risk is, could be mitigated. So then how do we mitigate that risk? I understand that. And of course, you know, for something like forest fires or hurricanes, yeah. you know, there's a lot more. The measurement is outside the hands of 
the insurance company, for instance. They're looking at the data that's coming from whoever it might be. It's all data and communicating it. That was the keynote address, setting this, the stage for the, re- the other research that was presented. How much did that research, you know, reflect that ISSB board member's presentation? Or how much did it just link back to it? Yeah, some of the other research. So there's different ways of thinking about sustainability. So the approach Peter and I took in inviting participants to present their presentation was an ESG approach. ESG is environment, social, and governance. So three different ways of thinking about sustainability inside of a government. And the five academic papers that were presented touched on those in various ways. So let's start with climate change. And they were both carbon emissions reporting. That's probably low-hanging fruit, right? Like, it's very easy for us to grasp. Climate change is hot right now to talk about because, I mean, we see it everywhere, right? Like, this year has been a disaster. I don't have a better word for 2023. There's just a lot going on with the changing climate. Carbon reporting, carbon leads into climate change. And so one of our presenters, Gordon Richardson from the University of Toronto, he presented a paper on the impact of mandating disclosing carbon emissions and how that how that impact the way firms manage emissions themselves. Carbon reporting isn't necessarily required to be disclosed yet. It is in some jurisdictions, not in other jurisdictions, and it varies on what you, which scopes you have to report. So it's more of a how direct are the carbon emissions to your organization, to your company? So it could be, are you emitting those carbon emissions directly in your factory or whatever? That's and then it goes one. all the way to supply chain. That's scope what, three. Yeah. Yep. And scope two in the, is in the middle. That's what you take from the power grid. So that's kind of where you get your energy to produce internally. So here in Quebec, like we probably, your scope two emissions for a Quebec company are probably fairly low because all of our electricity is hydro. Not to say hydro is the best way, right? That has environmental implications, but it doesn't create carbon emissions. And so what what Gordon and his co-authors were looking at is before mandatory carbon disclosures, some firms voluntarily reported it. Some voluntarily reported emissions, but in a strategic way to maybe not show all of the emissions that they had. And so what Gordon and his co-authors were looking at a bit here was when it finally mandates it, how does that change what I'm voluntarily? Well, (laughs) it's hard to say it's voluntary if it's required because only scope one and two that are required to be reported. Scope three is still voluntary. So if I have to mandate it to disclose scope one and two, how do I manage that voluntary scope three? Conversely, if I'm mandated to disclose, and I've only strategically disclosed some in the past, how do I change my emissions? If I was a poor emitter in the past, if I wasn't disclosing everything in the past, maybe highlighting good things and not necessarily the bad things, well, now if I'm required to disclose all of my emissions, how does that impact me as a company? There's two outcomes. I just continue to operate the way I was operating. Now I fully disclose my emissions. Or I kind of don't want to show my full emissions. The only other route I have to lower that number would be to reduce my emissions. And I think that's kind of a key outcome of this paper. It could be that mandatory disclosure could change the way firms operate so that they have to lower the emissions that they're creating. I mean, we would think that that would be the, the desired outcome of these yes. supporting uh, requirements. From an accounting perspective, I'm not sure there is a desired outcome. The outcome is just 
accurately disclosing your emissions. Now, this is where politics could come in and society come in. We do want you to reduce your emissions. And so this is maybe a peer pressure way. Right. But as far as accounting goes, it's just disclosing the number and disclosing it accurately and in a meaningful way. And as far as academia goes, it's again, it's not political. It's not not political at all. We're just curious, like what happened when it was required to be disclosed? Did it impact firms? And if it did, how did it impact them? And did it change the way they operate? So that was one of the papers. So we talked, you know, a little bit about how sustainability is more than climate change. So there were other papers that talked beyond about sustainability aspects beyond climate change. Yeah, of course. So another one, we can kind of broach and we can kind of move into a different topic, but we'll start with keeping it within carbon emissions. So another paper that was presented, Saduk Ogol from the University of Alberta, uh, he presented a paper on voluntarily disclosing greenhouse gas emissions. Does that vary between the board structure? So the board, the board of directors, so the people kind of in charge of matching the shareholders with the company, aligning shareholder interests with the management. Does the voluntary disclosure of emissions vary based on the ancestral diversity? It's kind of like ethnicity, but I think it's more of like your historical country of origin. Do boards that have more diversity from an ancestral background, do they voluntarily disclose emissions more, less, or just in a different way than just maybe a board of directors that's all from the same country of origin. And again, caveat, like I'm this may not be true yet. It's still a working paper. So Duke and his co-authors were kind of showing that the more diverse from an ancestral background, the more likely you were to disclose voluntarily disclose emissions and in a more detailed and meaningful manner. The point here is more diversity just brings different viewpoints to the table and you're able to highlight different stakeholders this way. And so once I have a broader view of what people think, then I can actually work with that information. Whereas if everybody just has the same background, they're from the same echelon of society, say, or academic background, you see other viewpoints and it makes you think differently and you disclose information and collect information differently. We could stay on the social aspect again, and we can talk about diversity here as well. Uh, Anne Tamayov of the accounting department at the London School of Economics. So she presented a paper on firm value and what happened during the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein. So how firm value and how investors reacted. So the paper Anne was presenting the impact on the Me Too movement on firm value. And the way we're, we would measure firm value is the stock price. That's the easy way to for a public company. The stock price goes up, the firm's valued more. How does the Me Too movement impact investors like investing in a company? Like that's not necessarily something I would initially think about, which is kind of what makes the topic cool and interesting. And the evidence Anne and her co-authors are collecting and presenting was that firms that at the upper echelons of the company, the CEO, the CFO, that had female representation, they were valued more during the V2 movement. As these scandals came out, investors were valuing the company more and investing more money in those that had female representation at the higher level C-suite. That doesn't necessarily make sense at first. Like, why is that? Like, it's still not tied. And that's what Anne and her co-authors are working through. And I think there's probably two explanations for why investors might value a firm more during a scandal if there's female representation. And this it's one of two outcomes. The first could be that there's litigation risk that exists out there. If I just have male representation at the upper levels of the company, there's probably the potential for some 
sexist, some outcome that had happened in the, in the firm before, and there's some lawsuit that's hanging out there potentially. So one is the litigation risk. The other is a different sort of risk, and this might be me opining, but if it's a societal demand that we need more female representation at the higher levels of corporations, and this is a personal opinion, but it's probably it's valid. Yes, we do. I think more than just business literature, I think academic literature itself shows that diversity is important in various aspects. If I need more female representation and I have a company that doesn't have any, there's going to be a turnover. There will be eventually turnover. We need to hire a new CEO. Maybe we should have a female CEO this round to diversify the C-suite. Turnover costs a lot of money, especially at the higher levels of management because there's expertise that's up there and you have to relearn relearn the corporate culture. And so that could be the other one. The other potential reason firms would value a diverse set of, or a firm with a diverse set of executives. There's the potential for less turnover. Turnover is costly. So the firm is going to be valued more than its peers. It's so interesting to think about these issues in terms of accounting, because, you know, we think about these issues uh, often in terms of social dynamics and things like that. But looking at them from an accounting point of view is quite fascinating. It feels more objective, but it's just a new perspective. This is why this is fun, too, to communicate this. Accounting isn't just profit, although the explanation I just gave for the sexism and um, firm value. At the end of the day, my explanations came down to the future profitability. But it's it's fun to talk about what accounting research is because it's not just how do we measure this number. It's all these other things that can go into. Yes, exactly. So maybe we could talk about one more paper. I know there were you know several papers presented, but maybe one more that just sort of stood out as like, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm not going to get too far into the details on this because I'm not an expert necessarily in the topic. Uh, but this one, we're going to stay in the social movement, and I'm going to bridge that into the governance aspect. So try to hit all three of the ESG topics in this podcast. So this last paper we're talking about was presented by our colleague at uh, UBC, Jenny Li Zhang, um, and it was Navigating Political Risk in China. So this is where I have to be careful because I don't quite understand the capital market in China. It is very different from what I'm used to from my background in the U.S. and in Canada. It was a unique setting to investigate this in. I, I think a strong setting to research this in because the government in China itself is very social-minded. They have a unique capital market that's not just capital. It is we have to take care of the society as well at the same time, all meshed together. So there were two things Jenny and her colleagues looked at in China and the impact it had on firms aligning what they're doing with government interest or policy. The first was an anti-corruption campaign that was happening in China. I think the takeaway here was firms that were kind of aligned with governmental policy or maybe what the government was wanting from the social outcome were less likely to be impacted from the anti-corruption Uh, The government coming in and parsing out corruption, if I was kind of aligned with government policy and more social good and social welfare, perhaps I was less likely to be targeted. That's a strong word, but investigated or looked at by the government. So aligning my policy, not just doing what the government wants, but it's like doing good things for society at the same time. The other aspect, that was the first setting they looked at. The second one was a reimagination of what China had wanted from a social outcome. Rethinking about the next five years, what we want China to do for society, that's 
completely changing the capital market, completely changing government policy. And then firms that were able to easily align themselves with what the government wanted from the social outcome, focusing on society, not necessarily my profits, perhaps that curried favor from the government, say, or at least the government was happy with me. And so maybe they were less likely to investigate me or just look at me or maybe just aligning myself with the policy of the the central decision makers. Right. So the success of an organization of a of a business yeah. is is not only about its profitability at all. Potentially not. It, it, that could on on the market you're in and where you're operating it's not just profits at the end of the day and in fact it could be reductions in profits but that could have a potential good outcome if the alternative is frustrating or annoying the central decision makers. I tend to view governance as more of a mechanism to ensure the environmental and social aspects of a company are being made. But in Jenny's paper, the second outcome, the reimagining what we want society to be and how we want to operate in society, that was the second part of their paper. And companies need to be working for society, not necessarily just for their shareholders and underlying profits. But it also offers a different perspective on profitability in an organization, how business is viewed in a different country. So these papers were presented and there they were there were the presentations and then there was the discussion part of a conference, which is one of the main reasons we have conferences, especially in-person conferences. Were there a few points of focus during that discussion or even uh, during the social events uh, that were a part of the conference? Were there a few points of discussion that emerged that researchers were sort of focusing in on or inspired by? You're right. The discussion in the audience Q&A, it's a very important part of academic conferences. It's really, I would say, the only point of an academic conference. I could present my paper to anyone that if I present a topic, I want feedback from other people. I'm looking for what's interesting or maybe what I've done wrong or what I need to highlight, just forcing me to rethink what I'm trying to disseminate to other people. Something I found interesting in the, the discussions in the audience Q&A, it's almost as if this accounting academic audience, we kind of understood the environmental papers, like the emissions. We kind of know how to measure scope one and two and three in the emissions here. What was interesting to me was to see the discussion more around the social aspects and especially gender. We've, act, we've studied gender a lot in accounting and the way gender disparity and differences in company has impacts. It was Interesting to see, I think, the opinions academics brought in with this one. And that's hard to separate from the objective data we're looking at. I just found it kind of interesting. You see opinions, I think, come out more when it was the social aspect, because that is perhaps harder to quantify and maybe the outcomes. I'm not sure the outcome is the right word, but maybe what's happening, we just are more likely to have opinions on than do emissions cause climate change. Well, one of the reasons we talk that Delve is about academic research is to say the research is saying yeah. this is happening, even though all of these ingrained beliefs or whatever it might be are still being held onto, the research shows that actually this is what's really going on and maybe we should change those ingrained beliefs or something like that. The data right? is the data. Yeah. Like numbers, number. I'm an accountant, numbers don't lie. Where the opinions come out is, you know, I have my prior 
And so here's the other explanation for your data. And that's why a conference is important as well. If I think there could be an alternative explanation for what's going on, I need to find a way to rule that out so that I can hone in on what exactly the key takeaway, the answer is. Well, I mean, the great thing about conferences too, is somebody can present a paper like that and give somebody else an idea. Well, I'm going to look at similar things, but in a different way. And then, then we have more. That's how you advance knowledge as well. One study doesn't create the answer. You need hundreds of studies to collectively get to one, one mindset. Were future directions for accounting and sustainability discussed or established? And uh, do you see the conference as an axiom for future or new directions in accounting research? Hopefully. So perhaps the participants that were here had never really thought about certain sustainability and accounting before. We've done it for a while, but we've never necessarily highlighted some of our research as sustainability issues. The ISSB presentation by Jeff Hales, I think, was very informative. I think we had some discussion with him that he could take back to the board, but he at least relayed what the board will be doing and what's going to be happening. And that's going to, as new standards are created, that creates opportunities for new research going forward. Is the standard meaningful? Does it work? Does it not work? Is it useful? Can we make it better? And maybe thinking about, again, how we operate as human individually, maybe not academic, but just showing up to an event. Can I do things in a more sustainable way? Thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Our guest today on the Delve podcast was Desotel Professor Brian Wenzel, discussing accounting and sustainability, the recent McGill Accounting Research Conference, and the value of new research. Ultimately, this is about the need for organizations, leaders, and regulatory bodies like the ISSB to highlight the value of accounting in how organizations set and reach sustainability goals in a global context. I'd also like to note that this episode of the Delve podcast is a collaboration between the McGill Sustainable Growth Initiative, SG. GI Director Javad Nasiri and Delve. You can find out more about these topics on delve.mcgill.ca. Thank you for listening to the Delve podcast produced by Delve, the thought leadership platform of the Desotel Faculty of Management at McGill University. You can follow Delve McGill on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to the Delve McGill podcast on your favorite podcasting app.